control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. This week, for episode 954, we'll be chatting with Robert Radford, a lead scientist with Neurotas a little later, about how AI can help you live longer. Also, the end of Windows and Trump is back. But let's start with our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, does the date, August 29th, 1997, mean anything to you? Uh, no. Why should it? Terminator, the launch of Skynet. The end of humanity when the machines and artificial intelligence started to take over. Okay, and and why are we talking about this oft-reference date? Because it's a little late, but I think the AI is here. (laughs) The future they predicted in that movie is actually happening now with AI is everywhere. Have you noticed? Have I noticed? Have I noticed? Uh, the, all the machines have gone suspiciously quiet because they're all plotting amongst themselves. Is that all, what you're... All the, all the machines are gathering in a corner and they're whispering. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just find it's kind of, it's like AI is everywhere. Everywhere I turn, there's something new and you can do this, that and the other. And everybody's talking about AI and this chat GPT and everything that's taking the world by storm. Uh, and it just reminds me of Skynet. It's like suddenly the machines have intelligence what are they going to do with it? That's and what just, are they doing with it? This is what I want to know. You know what? I was. You'll laugh at this, right? But at the weekend, uh, we had a little robot Hoover running around the house. Yeah. It's as dumb as two thick planks of wood put together. Great. Because it can't know. If you turn it one way, it then is completely lost. <laughs> Right. And this is supposed to be modern technology and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's crazy. But making the news this week, that's what I wanted to get in at, is uh, with AI, uh, Google are getting very, very worried about this because the entire world is talking about AI. And they have nothing. Well, it's kind of like AI. Have you played with chat uh, GPT? I have. And, and I know lots of horror stories and, and we've both played with various kinds of AI actually so far. Uh, maybe maybe we'll have a chat about it in a bit. Right, but, but um, it's interesting when, when you're on that, OK, and you ask it a question and it gives you an answer. It doesn't give you a list of links where you can get an answer. It just gives you the answer. Now, Which is what a lot of people want. Well, that, this is it. Exactly. And that's not what Google does. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you know, it gives you pages and pages of answers. Exactly. And do you remember Google when it came along first? It was kind of like we had Yahoo and kind of all kinds of other, Alta Vista and all kinds of other things. Uh, and it was all directories and that. And then Google came along and they went, yeah, here's our front page. Yeah, I know it's blank. And there's just like a little box in the middle. Just type in what you're looking for and you got it. And we were all like, wow, we're experiencing yeah. exactly the same thing now where essentially it's a blank sheet. And I was like, well, just, you know, type a question into the box. I was like, okay. And then when you get the answer, you can start then having a conversation with that page about the answer. Yeah. As opposed to something like Wolfram Alpha, which um, you ask a question and it just gives you an answer. Yes. Which is great for, you know, people working in maths or the sciences or something Mm. like that. So it's kind of interesting uh, the way it's going. Google are getting very worried about it. Uh, Sundar, it's apparently called a code red. He's called in uh, Larry and Sergi and he said that this is top priority for Google. Well, it kind of is because Microsoft have invested heavily in OpenAI, which is the initiative behind ChatGPT. So Google really is behind the eight ball on this one. 
we're going to hear, hopefully, what they have in mind at Google I.O., which is in mm. uh, May, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I, I.O. being their, their big, you know, developer, everything yeah. conference. So it's everywhere and even in the courtrooms, possibly. You have a great story. Here, here's a fun story. I picked this up on NPR. Um, you may or may not, probably not, be familiar with a New York startup called Do Not Pay. Set up by a chap called Joshua Browder. And the idea is very simply, um, there's an awful lot of low quality legal representation out there. People are spending hundreds of dollars on lawyers that don't care about their cases that show up, say, okay, what's wrong with you? Okay, money now. Thanks for, thanks for coming kind of a thing. And, you know, it's very, it, it leaves people really annoyed and very often out of pocket one way or the other. So he set up this company called Do Not Pay. And it's basically for people with outstanding tra- traffic tickets. They were brought to court to pay their traffic ticket. And he wanted to come up with a sort of an automated defense that you didn't need to hire a lawyer. You could just go in and uh, you would wear a set of smart glasses and you would have the argument sort of read against you. The uh, smart glasses would pick up what's being said, feed it to an AI who would feed a defense back to you. Um, Kind of interesting, but for one fatal flaw. Which is? You need a license to practice law. Very basic. Do yeah, you? you do, yeah. It's, yeah. Not a, it's not unusual for people to defend themselves in a court. It is not. But they are doing, they have done the homework themselves. Right? So what you're doing is parlaying information <laughs> assembled by a third party and using that. So it's not the same as doing your homework. It's uh, basically somebody else has done the homework and is feeding it to you. Now you sound like a lawyer. <laughs> so but basically what has happened is that you know he started getting letters from various bar councils mm. sort of explaining the situation and you know he's had to go okay right not so much mea culpa as it's not worth my while pursuing this so i'm sure he's mm. going to pivot to something else but i thought it was an interesting experiment just to see how far you can get chat gpt now to be honest I think I'd take my chances with a bad human lawyer over a bad uh, automated one, but sure. There is a reason for that because as much as we love ChatGPT and AI and everything we're talking about, it it does also have a reputation for not being correct. In fact, it has two reputations. Firstly, uh, all of the data was trained on goes up to 2001, so it has no new information from the last two years. And secondly, with the information it does have, it does make mistakes. CNET uh, had a load of AI written articles, and I'm surprised they actually used AI written articles on the website. But now and ever, they said there were lots of little mistakes in there and people were picking up on it. Yeah, <laughs> and then pretty embarrassing. Getting, yeah, you know, but uh, like, I mean, I use... I, you know, I don't want to call it AI. I use uh, various services. I, I call it an automated transcription service, all right? Yeah. And basically, you can uh, speak to it or you can upload an MP3 uh, file of an interview or something like that. And this will do the transcription for you. Uh, and the results are scarily accurate, okay? Um, I find that they are 90% correct, which when you kind of think about it, it's like, wow, that's good. But it does also mean that every 10th word is wrong. Yeah, well, I've I've used uh, transcription software as well. Mm. Uh, and in the course of interviewing people with quite a technical vocabulary, um, and I found that it really struggled 
to match up accents with technical uh, dialogue. Yeah. And did the, not work at all. And it means that when you get back to somebody and say, can you just check this? They were like, no, that's actually this, or I didn't actually say that. Um, and it gets very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of nuances and stuff like that. I think I think we're making amazing strides and kind of the bulk of what is being done with AI at the moment is, yes, quite amazing. But I think there's an awful lot uh, of stuff in the world where it's like every new program, no matter what the program is, is now being called AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. When it's not actually an artificial intelligence, which is a, a whole other thing altogether. Um, all the tech news this week, um, the end of Windows. Well, yeah, the end of I, Windows I experienced 10. this. I experienced oh, this uh, earlier this week. I opened uh, up a computer that I hadn't used in a while mm-hmm. uh, and I said, hey, it's time to upgrade to Windows 11. Uh, and I was thinking, no, no, it is not. I'm quite happy where I am. Thank you very much. Uh, this will do nicely. Um, and, and it wasn't for turning. So it required quite a bit of, um, shall we say, non-user-friendly jiggery-pokery right, okay. uh, just to stop it upgrading. Not happy. Not happy at all. The machine or you? <laughs> well, both actually. Neither of us got what we wanted. No, in fairness, uh, I still have Windows 10, with which I'm still happy. Um, I use oh, Windows um, 11 on another computer. And yeah. I can see, I can. it has charm, but I just, I don't want to... Sh- don't, yeah. don't tell me what I want. Oh, 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 old man Kitson over there in the corner. I'm getting um, worse. Listen, I'm getting I, worse as I get older. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I've got Windows 10 on some machines. I've got Windows 11 on other machines. I find them both relatively similar. Windows 11 is kind of a little nicer, a little bit more modern. Both do exactly what I want. There's no reason to jump from Windows 10 into Windows 11, but there's no reason to not go with Windows 11 either. Do you know that well, kind of way? Windows 11 is a much bigger resource hog than Windows 10. That is the difference. If you're running a modern computer, you probably won't notice a difference. However, if you're running a slightly older computer, you uh, might. There is, if you are old, running an older uh, computer, do do a search for Tiny10. Essentially, it is a developer. And what he's done is he's taken Windows 10, the, the, the core installation file, and he's taken everything out of it. Everything that you don't need. So Solitaire is gone. I think Notepad has gone. No, Notepad is probably there. Uh, but all, all of the rubbish that you don't need, he's pared down as much as possible just to the bare bones. And you know what? It runs Windows 10 great on old machines. That's Duly my noted. That, that, that's my little tip for the day. Uh, last story for this week. Trump is back. Ish. I mean, here, here we go again. I mean, Meta has released uh, Donald Trump from Facebook and Instagram jail. Um, so he can go back on those two platforms. Interesting. I'm finding this interesting on a number of levels, right? One, that they would lift a ban uh, at all. One, they're lifting a ban on a public figure who is extremely controversial and known for, at the, you know, given what we know about the January 6th riots and how that is playing out. Um, but it also shows a certain level of confidence by Meta that they're fairly sure he doesn't have the same political oomph as he used to. I mean, he's restricted himself to Truth Social instead of going back onto Twitter. Uh, and why not? It's his platform. You know, he'll never be banned. He'll never be anything done it. Um, so, you know, there's enough MAGA people on Facebook spreading misinformation as it is. Uh, I mean, Facebook is now well known for, you know, when your separated uncle goes, here, here, you got to read this. I found this on the internet. <laughs> this is on my Facebook. 
in, in my own personal little world, I think it's amusing that Donald Trump is being allowed back on Facebook because me and pretty much everyone I know has left. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. You know, you, you, rule one oh, rule one of marketing is you go to where your audience is. Yeah. Uh, if Donald Trump thinks his audience is no longer on Facebook, he's not going to go there. He's just going to stay in truth social where people can agree with him all day. There you go, Grant. Listen, they are the latest stories for this week. Of course, you can check uh, all the latest stories and the feeds on our website at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. They say you're only as old as you feel. So how would you like to feel younger for longer? Robert Radford is a lead scientist with Neurotas and he had a chat with Niall Kitson during the week about how AI can identify peptides in everyday food and how knowing that can help you live longer. Rob, the trend that we see with scientists is very often a case of completing your academic uh, training in Ireland before going on, I suppose, what you might call a, a version of Rumspringa even uh, be it into industry or to travel abroad and then return either to academia or back to Ireland. Uh, was that part of your experience as well? Yeah. Um, so my, my own background, so I, I you know, I, I did my, my bachelor's degree and my PhD here in, in Dublin in UCD. So my, my original degree and my PhD were more focused on pharmacology and toxicology. So really far removed from the field of aging. Um, we w- once I finished up my PhD, I kind of had my eye on, on looking abroad. Like you said, it's something that a lot of scientists do. I think initially in the past there was, you know, uh, a, a strong case to be made for having been to America on your CV. I think that's kind of maybe less so the case now, um, but it's still something that I wanted to do. Um, so found a lab in San Diego in California, um, and the focus of the lab was really on the kind of hardcore nitty-gritty molecular biology of aging um, and that's that's kind of it was a completely new field to me so it was a big jump and um, had a chat with the, the professor around the lab and decided that we'd give it a go so move over to there and worked on fields of aging for a long time so we've covered a lot of different topics different aspects of aging really at the kind of cellular level and you know we're over was over there for for like i said quite a long time pushing seven or eight years um, my wife, who's also a scientist, was over there with me. Uh, we had a, a little girl in San Diego. Um, and at that point, we kind of decided, you know, it's, it's time to move home. So that, that was one of the big prompts to, to kind of make the leap. Uh, in the meantime, we had been, I had been talking to, to Nora Caldi, the, the founder of, of Neurotest here, and kind of, you know, through, through email and a few messages and had proposed a few ideas to, to work on. So we decided to write a grant together, which we did. And luckily we were awarded. And that's how we kind of made the leap back home to Ireland and have been here since. So looking then at your uh, interest in aging, where did that come from? Was it just a, a desire to see a problem and come up with a solution? Uh, or was it something that, um, you know, you, you had a, a kind of a long-standing interest in as, as a problem that maybe could be reversed or understood a bit better? So, so some of my experience before moving to my postdoc was based, I had, I had some experience working in cancer projects. I had some experience working in cardiovascular projects. And it's funny when you're doing the research in these things, like the number one risk factor for all of these major diseases and ailments is age. 
Um, it, you know, it's, it's kind of the older you are, the more at risk you are for pretty much every major ailment. So it kind of is the, the central target, if you like, that can be, I, I feel can be tackled. So it's a, it's a very appealing thing to work in. And I mean, we all have family and friends who are getting older. We're all getting older as we speak, but we all, we've all seen the effects of aging. So, you know, it'd be nice to, to be able to have a direct impact and help people, you know, live comfortably as they get older. And that, that really is kind of the, one of the reasons that I really wanted to go into the field of aging, because, you know, there's a, there's a very large aging population and it's getting larger. So there's a lot of people who are going to need, you know, some sort of intervention in the, in the coming years, because as I said, we're generally speaking, getting older as a population. There's also the social element of aging as well. Are there people sort of discover that people are talking to them differently because they're slightly older, even though they don't necessarily uh, feel as such, or maybe they just want to stay productive in the workforce for longer. Um, is that something that has informed your work as well? Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned the social aspect of aging because it's something I've been thinking about a little bit. So, you know, you can kind of clearly see now, like, let's say if I compare my, my parents to, to my grandparents beforehand, like the way my parents behave at 50 is vastly different to how my, par- my grandparents would have behaved at 50 or 60. So, you know, I think people now have a, an idea that probably they're going to live longer than their parents did. So I think people are, let's say, more aware of the fact that they need to actively work at staying healthier for longer. Um, And I think we see that, you know, I think there's a a general trend towards trying to maintain your health as long as possible. Whereas, you know, if you look back 50, 60 years ago, I don't think that was a focus at all. Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, Yeah. I think it's certainly something that when you look at old movies and you see people that look uh, much, much older and more mature uh, and you go back and you check their date of birth and you might find that they're in their <laughs> late 20s or, or early 30s. Exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon just to see how people, you know, maybe uh, aspired to a level of seniority that just isn't uh, seen yeah. as quite desirable uh, today. So in approaching the problem of aging then, how exactly does Neurotas do this? Sure. So that this is one of the things that really kind of attracted me to come back uh, to Ireland and to work with Neurotas. So at Neurotas, the approach is, is, is really, it's really uh, interesting. So we leverage AI to identify peptides within, you know, any protein source really, but generally speaking, like we, we spoke about, we talk about plants. So we're looking at peptide sequences found within plant protein that can elicit a certain biological function. So when I talk about peptides, just in case people kind of need a little bit of a refresher from their, their junior cert or even cert biology, I'm really talking about small chains of amino acids. So chains of amino acids make up proteins in our body and peptides are, let's say, we take a particular protein and break it down into smaller fragments. That's a peptide. But the way our bodies communicate with, you know, themselves and with each other, all the cells in the body can speak multiple languages. And one of the languages that the cells in the body speak is through peptides. So peptides can signal um, from one cell to another, you know, cell A is telling cell B to do something and it can use peptides to do that. So by tapping into that resource and looking for peptides that actually have a biological function, 
we can, you know, activate the the cellular responses and the, the kind of molecular pathways in cells to do a certain thing. And that's exactly what we're trying to do at Nortas. So we're trying to find peptides within plant sources that can elicit a biological function. Um, and, you know, we're working in many different fields here at Nortas. So, you know, we're looking for peptides that do many different things. When we're looking at the scale of peptides, I think one really interesting way that uh, the company had put it at one stage was if you look at an apple, you're not looking, they don't uh, looking, they don't see an apple, they see uh, basically a big data set. Uh, is, is that very much how you see things? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, if you go back to the idea of taking a protein and, you know, you can look at an individual protein, for example. And you can imagine a, a protein is made up, like I said, of a string of amino acids stuck together. So I think the best way to picture that in your mind is to just picture the, a page of a book and all the letters on that page and just smush them together with no spaces. And if you think each letter on that page then represents a single amino acid. So we've got it, you know, depending on how you look at that page or where you look at, you can string the letters together different ways. So you're looking for within that page, you can find multiple different you know, let's say messages are words that wouldn't have existed before until you looked at them in a particular light. And that's how we look at it because we've got one protein there. So you think of one page as one protein, but an apple or, or a cell or, or whatever you're, you're interested in looking at will have thousands of proteins. So the potential for signaling molecules within, you know, any given source, for example, like an apple is absolutely huge. So then looking at uh, what happens once a peptide has been identified that sort of triggers a, a response in the body or, a, you know, a, a command, what kind of products are we looking at that, that will be at the, the far end of, uh, of your research? Yeah, so, so like I said, we're, we're looking at, you know, quite a few different, yeah, let's say, physiological endpoints here in Oratas are trying to treat different disease states. So if I take those two, for example, that are relatively kind of well, well developed. So one will be the, in the area of muscle health. So we've identified, you know, certain, uh, mixture of peptides, um, that are capable of, you know, inducing, um, muscle protein synthesis. And if you think about the areas that that's applicable in, it's, it's a really broad, you know, scope. So, Athletes are going to be interested in this, this kind of um, uh, supplement to maintain muscle mass, to help recovery. You know, even if, in, if we bring it back to aging, obviously the, the scope there to, to help an aging population is huge. And muscle loss is one of the biggest kind of, you know, driving factors in, in the loss of quality of life in, in the elderly population. So if you can help maintain muscle mass in an elderly population. You know, that's, that's a huge thing. And, you know, again, to, to jump onto the, the point of Pept Youth, which is, another one of the, the products we were looking at. So just even from aging in an external, uh, looking at aging in an external way, you know, we can, we can help improve the, the, the appearance of, of the skin and kind of, you know, reduce some of the effects of time on the skin. And it's funny because like I said, I've worked in aging for quite a long time. And whenever you talk to a scientist about working in aging, you know, the first thing they jump to is, you know, cellular aging and, and senescence and that kind of thing. But if you talk to someone who's not a scientist about aging, the first thing they mention is, is it going to make me look younger? So there's a definitely a different uh, view of what aging is in terms of, you know, the general population, the scientific population. So there are two of the things that we're, we're kind of working at here at Neurotasas. 
So when you're working on a, a, a product, then we're all kind of aware of the idea of the great decline that starts uh, from the age of 30 onwards. How do you convince people that, you know, the process of aging is not say irreversible, but certainly manageable in a very effective way? So uh, that's one of the things that I think has really, you know, opened my eyes since I started working in the field is that, you know, I think generally people think of aging as this inevitable thing that happens to all of us. And I think that's understandable, right? Because, you know, for pretty much the majority of the the time that humans have existed, you know, we start, we're born, we're young, we get older, we age, we die. The thing of it is, is that, you know, the human body and all of our cells have enormous capacity for repair and regeneration. And I think people kind of are not aware of how, how much that can occur, you know, so we do really do have enormous capacity to, to regenerate and repair. Um, I mean, if you think about it, the instructions to make, you know, everything that your cells need, it's there in a 90 year old, as much as it is, as it is there in, in a, in a, you know, a five year old, there's obviously just processes and, and kind of systems in the cells that go awry as we get older, that's, you know, just change how the cells manage their day to day business. And I think if we kind of figure out the mechanisms that cause those changes, then really there's there's really no reason why you can't say that you can either, like you said, either reverse or at least stop some of the effects of aging. Because like I said, the mechanisms that kind of govern how we repair and replace, they're there. They're all coded into your DNA. They exist. It's just for whatever reason, as we get older, yeah, they, they function less effectively. So if we can work out how to, to change some of that, well, then, you know, we're onto a winner. One of the problems people have when they hear about groundbreaking research is sort of the the sense that it's going to be years and years and years before breakthrough actually, you know, translates into a product. Uh, how long do you think we're going to be waiting to see products like Pepti-Use, uh, you know, becoming more widely available? Are we looking at 10 years down the line? Are we looking at something a little, uh, a little closer? I think we're, we're probably, in, in terms of the neurotest ingredients, we're definitely looking at something a little closer, quite quite a bit closer. So that's that's another one of the major benefits of the the approach that we're taking in neurotest is that the, the traditional pipeline to discover therapeutics can be really quite long and and very wasteful and inefficient. So the AI system that we've developed here at Neurotas, kind of coupled with the, the kind of the screening mechanisms and and methods we have in the lab. They really shorten that um, discovery pipeline down quite a bit. So, you know, instead of, you know, uh, taking, you know, five, 10 years to, to, to go from initial concepts to, to on the market, we're looking at maybe two to three years. So, and, and the idea there is that as we're doing that, we're learning. So the AI itself is also learning from things that do and don't work. So then the next round of predictions are better and that cuts down on time too. So, yeah, I, re- I really don't think we're talking about 10 years for, especially not for our, our ingredients. We're talking about a much, much shorter time. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Robert Radford, a lead scientist with Neurotas. 
That's it for our show for this week. Of course, you'll find more stories that we didn't have time for for the podcast, including the latest on the last pass breach, how a 15-year-old Python bug is threatening thousands of open source projects and an interview with Owen O'Connell from Confirm about IoT and way, way more, all on our website at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RT Radio 1 Extra, or of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until next time, from myself, Niall Kitson, and myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks for listening to Tech Radio. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.